Welcome to Rogue Bogues, the basketball series, myself and my good friend Mike Procopio. What is news from the US Pro? Well, Bogues, I'll fucking tell you what's going on in the United States. So I'm fucking taking a nap yesterday and I get a call from one Jacques Lawndale and he fucking calls me and I, I like, I let the thing go to voicemail and I'm like, I'll give him a call like an hour. So I called. Damn, you big time dim. No, I fucking, I was like dozing off. I'm like in the middle of a nap. My kid's not sleeping. So I'm up half the night with him and fucking, so I'm like, I'll call him back. Call him back. Nothing. He calls me back with like the half ring deal and I fucking call him back. Nothing. No call today. So, you know, I'm trying to think of what that conversation will be like, what he's asking. You know, we, we have a good dialogue. Here's what it probably is. It's probably like, bro, it's like, bro. I got all these people around me with with like with flames on their shirt trying to like actually give me instructions. I'd be like, Wandale, that those are actual assistant coaches that want to work with you. And you'd be like, wait a minute, I got this weird guy dribbling on my socks. I'm like, yeah, this team actually thinks of you as a fucking NBA player. They don't give you their G League shit in the first day. They give actually give you the NBA shit. And it's an 82 game <laughs> schedule, not a 50 fucking game schedule. He's a little bit, you know, he's probably a little weird that actually people actually want to work with him. And he's not going to be, you know, he doesn't have to get fucking guides of what to eat in Austin, fucking Texas or Portland, Maine. He'll actually be with the big club. So he's probably feeling a little bit like actually like, like the fucking equipment guy doesn't work him out. He actually has real assistant coaches working with him. So I think he's just trying to. Bro, are you saying, are you saying the Spurs, I'm the not, Spurs, I'm not, are you questioning the Spurs development? No, no. No, no, no. Is that no, what I you're doing? Ne- I would never do that. I would never do that. But he's probably a little confused. <laughs> a little confused. You know, he's probably just a little confused on that. So I would have given him as much advice as I could on it. You know, I'd be like, hey, look, you don't have to carry your own shit. You know, like, you know, NBA schedule. You play in an arena. It's not junior colleges. Like, this is actually big shit. And, you know, you don't have to, like, pre-bring your suit to trips. You actually bring your jersey to trips. And they're actually going to play you. So it's good for him. But the fucker didn't answer me back. And it's funny. I was on my walk this tonight and thinking of what I'm going to say to fucking blast this guy. I kid you not. Two seconds after I fucking think of what I'm going to say, this fucker texts me and he's like, oh, sorry, man. I couldn't get back to you. I forgot what he said he was at. I said, dude, I'm just going to just be warned. You're going to get fucking blasted in the first minute and a half. He goes, oh, you fucking two fucking assholes. I said, no, no, no. Bogues <laughs> knows nothing about it. I said, this is going to be true rogueness. I'm not even going to tell him until we fucking put the show on. So that fucker better answer his phone. If he's going to call me. I mean, what the fuck? I didn't call no, him. He, he might be at a winery. He might be at a winery with a wifey posting on Instagram. That's that's his go-to. Oh, I give him shit about. Oh, that's how, how cute. We love you, Jock. But there's a lot of those romantic photos going around. You know that they did get engaged, pro. Um, Good for so them. So we wish them all the best. The wedding's coming up, so that the you know the, the old young couple in love. It feels like a long time for both of us. But uh, we're hoping Jock gets some minutes, man. I think. Um, you know, on that looking at that roster, I mean, he could. You know, if he shoots the three ball well, there's some minutes there for the taking at the four or five spot, I believe. So, yeah. hope he gets a bit of bit of run um, playing with Chris Paul and, and those guys. So we'll see how it goes. Let's get rolling into the run sheet. Um, some big news that broke during the week, I guess, for the off season, um, other than trades and all that, was a an in season tournament pro um, NBA in season tournament for 2023-24. So not this coming season; it'll be the season after. Um, there's not a real exact breakdown of how it works yet. All we know 
is cup games will, will go through November. Uh, eight teams advance to a single elimination finals. Right. And the other two continue as per normal in the regular season. So all, all the games in November are already, that count towards this tournament are regular season games too. So they count as regular season games. Um, it's a normal 82-game schedule. I guess the November portion of that 82-game schedule counts you, get some, you must get separate points, I assume, that then go into a cup. Um, eight teams advance single elimination. Um, your your games in the tournament count to standings as well for the for the regular NBA season. Besides one game, <clears throat> there's one extra game for the two teams that make the finals. I think that game does not matter for the regular season, and that that. Um, gets you the number one or you're the championship for the tournament. You're the winner of the tournament. Prizes to be determined. There's no, I mean, I assume there's going to be prize money involved or some incentive or, or whatever. And it's a weird one, Pro. Um, you know, we know the plane has been a success for him, I believe. Most people would agree with that. I think it's been, it's created a bit more hype leading into the playoffs. It gives teams a chance that probably shouldn't, usually wouldn't be there, a chance to now compete. And it stops blatant tanking for a 9-10 seed. Or maybe even an 11-12 wouldn't tank as blatantly because like, ah, we might scrape into a playing game. So I think it's 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 definitely solved some problems there for the NBA they had with blatant tanking. So I like that. This one I'm not sure about. I mean, are you, are you trying to be um, UEFA Champions League is that what you're looking at we need more I don't know it seems like a a hollow tournament to me um, I'd be interested to see how it goes but um, I'm not I'm not a fan of this as it reads right now um, I will give it a chance like anything and then tell you whether I like it or not it might take four or five years for it to get its legs but how do you what are your thoughts about it and do you think this is something that will be there for good well, because I thought going into it, I didn't really know what it was, how it was going to be formatted. So I'm like, extra games, this is probably not going to work. It's not probably not going to be a good look. The WNBA does something very uh, similar to it. They have cup games throughout the early season, and then they have a, a championship for the just the top two seeded teams, you know, record-wise. So um, I, I forgot how many teams they actually let in these cup games. But they just schedule them regular season just like they were, you know. And uh, the, the NBA seems like it's adopting this method as well. I was thinking about like the Copa del Rey, ACB, they do the same thing. Italy does the same thing. In the middle of the year, they have like eight teams playing it or 16 teams playing it. I forgot the format. Um, with this, yeah, I mean, for players, I don't think they're going to be all that more excited to play in it. I think they're going to be geared more towards the playoffs. Um, maybe teams that aren't in it, you know, aren't in the championship hunt, you know, a little bit, a little bit of prize money would be okay. I'm not a big fan of it, but I'm not totally against it. I was reading something Mark Cuban said, um, his comments about, um, have it where the champion, the champion of the league of the uh, cup games expand the draft to four rounds and then have the champion have the first, I think the first pick in the third and fourth round. Or something like that. I mean, you know, maybe that could be played with a little bit. It's actually a decent idea. I'm a big fan of expanding the draft so you can expand the players that you have rights to. But I'm not really excited about it, to be honest. I don't think that, like, I think maybe if you were given teams like $8 million a player or $5 million a player, which is, you know, ridiculous. But I'm saying, like, that's the only way they're going to be super hyped about playing in it. And I like the fact that they don't really have to add that many more games to it. It's just their regular season games that are counting towards. Well, it's just one extra cup. game with the finals. Yeah. So it, it kind of, that's why it's so hollow. It's not, 
they lose they, they lose if they have extra games because people are going to complain. Um, and then you got people like us, or, or at least me, saying, "Well, it's just regular season games. They're just tallying separate points for." And you, what's the point? Uh, Mark Cuban also did say, uh, "Pro," and I quote: "You can say I can see the Mavs not participating or even resting our best players in those games." Now, I think those comments were before. The format was broken. I think he said it was an Mark, old comment. I think I read that that he said it was yeah. an old comment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that that now that they are actual regular season games, you're going to want to compete. So look, I think it's just a bit of extra sauce. They're trying to figure things out. I'm, I'm not. I'm not f- strongly for or against. I just don't understand why. I think America is a different market. You, you mentioned Copa del Rey, soccer, UEFA Champions League. They're not playing 82 fucking games a year, plus playoffs. That's the difference, right? Yeah, and those fans, NBA fans aren't even close to that level of fan. You know, those guys bleed it. You know, NBA fans don't really bleed it, let's be honest, right? Nothing against them, but like, you know, certain people, I guess, do. But, you know, I think that, like you said, they don't play 82 games. They don't have the fanfare in the, like, those teams that play in those cup games for, I don't know anything about soccer, so I won't speak on it. Uh, basketball-wise, though, those people bleed for that. You know, if they're not going to win the ACB championship, they're going to bleed for that Copa del Rey, right? I don't think NBA players aren't going to bleed for it, and I don't think nah. the fans are going to care. So No way. Yeah. So, look, the, you know how, you know, Adam Silver is. He's trying to come up with new things constantly to try to revitalize the league. Look at Major League Baseball. I mean, Major League Baseball is dead, right? Their, their rankings, are, their ratings are going through the, you know, to the seller, you know, they get like one-fifth of the people watching the, that watched 10 years ago. So I think he's just trying to keep it fresh. But I really like the plan, which I didn't like at first. I really do like the plan, like you said, about, you know, t- less teams tanking, you know, teams really trying to play in for that spot. Um, but I, I'm not a big fan of this. I, I could take it or leave it. But, yeah, I'm not a big fan. Uh, yeah, I think the European Cups too, there's tradition in those as well. Um, it obviously gives these small market teams that don't have big budgets um, a chance to compete because it's a one-off game. You know, maybe maybe the big dogs aren't valuing it as much because they're, they're valuing the regular season trophy, trophy. So there's a lot of that. I mean, in soccer, it's awesome. I, I love league cups in soccer, like um, the English, English Premier League where you've got um, Premier League, uh, League One, League Two, League Three, they're all in the cup. So sometimes you have like a, a Division Three team playing against Manchester United, right? I like that, you know, David versus Goliath story. So that's really cool. But this one, it's just, it's much of a muchness to me. I, I just don't, I don't um, understand it uh, too much. Uh, we're told the NBA is doing really well, pro. So to your point about they're trying new things to keep people engaged, well, uh, we're being told they're engaged, pro. The, the, the TV numbers and, and all that's supposed to be perfect. So um, it will be interesting to see how this goes and if it's if it's something they continue to do, how the players buy into it. Like I said, they're still regular season games, so you still need to take them seriously. So I, I like that. They haven't. I think if they would have made a separate tournament, it would have been a shit show. You would have had G League Ignite team showing up. Um, mm. And do you really want your star, Luka Doncic or no. a Giannis or an Embiid, uh, getting hurt in one of these games and then not being able to win a championship? Of course not. So I like that they've kept them a positive for it is that it, that it keeps in a regular season game. But we shall see. We shall see how, how it all works out and, and, you know, whether there's a big prize to, to win in that trophy. I saw Mark Cuban saying that, or he also said that, you know, I take the tournament seriously if I got one of these behind me, which was the Larry, Larry O'Brien trophy. Sure. <laughs> so fair, it's a fair point, right? Because yeah. that's what you play for and we've been, we've been kind of trained that that's what you play for. You play for that in June. You don't play for some, some bullshit tournament in November. So I'm interested to see how they market that, but uh, 
Good luck to the NBA trying something new. Uh, Worldwide West, did you see his comments? No. <laughs> no. Around, around dealing with the <clears throat> Worldwide West, that is, sorry, uh, dealing with the Utah Jazz. Mm-mm. He's obviously in the, an executive with the New York Knicks. He said, the Jazz wanted my wife, my kids, <laughs> and my grandkids. That's they were just trying to rip somebody off. Yeah. Um, if I'm the owner of the Utah Jazz, I give Danny Ainge a bonus based on that quote because that's exactly what he's supposed to do. If you're a GM, that's a, you want you want every team in the league to feel that, and they've completed the trade now, so it doesn't matter. But you want what's best for your team. You want to fleece the. It's poker, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's chess. It's I'm trying to screw you. You're trying to screw me. Give me an extra pick. I oh, know I want to protect it. I oh, know I want this guy. I'm going to throw in these bad. Con- that's that's the art of war. Um, the art of negotiation. So. I think that's actually a compliment to Danny Ainge more than a, more than a negative, in my opinion, pro. And, and you you know you're a big advocate of the way um, Ainge handles himself in, in trade talks and free agency and all that kind of stuff. He, he's one of the best in the business. You know, Bogues dealing with Danny and just working with him was so fun for for the years that I was, and just seeing him work. I didn't really see a lot of these calls. Like I said, um, he negotiated the Antoine Walker trade to Dallas in uh, Jack Black movie in Times Square. We went to see uh, School of Rock, and he's talking to Donnie Nelson, talking about picks and things like that. And but like just listening to him uh, operate, he never backs down. He's gonna get what he's gonna get, or he's not gonna make a trade. You got a lot of GMs that just want to make a trade, so you know a lot of times maybe they'll ask for a lot and then come to the middle. He never, almost never, comes to the middle as far as in, on any trade. And like you said, it's a compliment to him. He wasn't going to back down. If you want this guy, this is what it's going to cost. And you know that's what his that's what his base out you know baseline was of getting the kid. And um, yeah, the Knicks. I mean, the report of what they asked for, you know, New York was ridiculous. You know, and he didn't back down, and he, he waited to to deal in the Cleveland. It was uh, yeah, I, I would give him five more years in his contract just for that. You know, just to to make him that move. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and we all know Will West was he's probably a pretty good negotiator uh, when he wasn't in a front office. So he's probably been through the similar, similar type things sitting courtside there. J.R. Smith Pro believes that he, he, Joe Johnson, and Jamal Crawford have been blackballed from the NBA. Um, he's quoted as saying, "Give me four to fifteen on any roster in the NBA. Name one of them that's better than me, Pro." Um, what are your thoughts? You think you think he's really he's really blackboard? Um, I, I don't. I, I think you know Joe Johnson's old. Jamal Crawford's an ISO guy that's older. Um, and the league, you know, J.R. Smith can, can still play. I agree, but sometimes it's just it's just luck of situation. It's roster spot. It's salary cap. It's how many teams are going for rebuild young. Cross them off your list. They're not signing you. Um, it just sometimes comes down to that. And <clears throat> excuse me, we um. We were also seeing, we, we touched on this a couple of podcasts ago where the Vetmin role player that's 11, 12, 13 is not an emphasis anymore for many teams. Udonis Haslam's one, but you you know, when I first came in the league, every team had their 13, 14, 15 was a, a vet, vet min guy. Or maybe some teams had two, whereas now you're lucky to find one. So it has changed there and um, I don't think J.R. Smith would be <laughs> in, that, in that category though because he, you know, 
does have his issues with 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 certain things. Um, but as far as Blackboard Pro, probably a little bit too much, right? Yeah, the, these things never end well. You know, careers for the most part don't end well. And I'd say maybe two percent of the t- players that ever play any sport gets gets to leave on their own terms. And I think that just Jr. just can't come to the realization that people are moving on and they don't want to go older player anymore. And maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago that they were all for it. Now these owners, they don't want to take, you know, they don't want to do that anymore. They they don't want to stunt the growth of a young kid, a young player to have all these older players. Maybe at the deadline, if you're a team that's wavering, you know, like a, like a Rajon Rondo, right? Uh, or Marcus Aldridge, maybe in December or January, I, I, I want to, uh, you know, I have a real chance for the championship, but I really need that veteran, you know, backup stretch four, or I need that point guard. And I'll go to those guys, but there aren't many that I'll go to, and I may not go to them anyway. But these guys is just look. Everybody, almost every player that ever plays this game is going to get forgotten within five or six years of their career, probably way less than that. And they just don't want to come to that realization. Like you know, there's five stages of it. Who's Jr. Keep an eye on Jr. Get me Jr. Get me Jr. Type. Who's Jr. And that's the thing. And it's just, it's sad, you know, it, because all those guys could probably help a team here and there if they were given minutes. But why would you want to give minutes to them when you have these younger players that might have a chance to have good NBA careers if they get minutes? Because again, NBA minutes are what develops players, NBA players, not just working out and do, doing all the stuff. So I wouldn't want to stunt the growth unless it was a special situation. If I'm Dallas, and I need, I really need a backup point guard, um, you know, and it's December, but I need that backup to just to take the ball out of Lucas' hands a little bit and, and, and just sort of run that second unit. I might give Rajon a call if I, you know, if I need a, a help on the stretch four. Well, Marcus, yeah, for sure. But those other guys, probably not. And it's nothing to do, and anything to do with nothing against those guys, but it's just the NBA's change. It's a young man's league. They, you know, they flush you out a lot earlier. There, there are only so many Udonis Haslam's out there. You know, Miami really values them. They're an organization that values older players. Oklahoma City did that with Nick Collison. They're doing that with Mike Muscala now. If you notice, you know, they they want to keep guys around. And see, I think that's smart, bro. I think that, like, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at J.R. Smith as that guy. <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there as that veteran leader no, who's gonna no. be happy with no minutes. But I've, I've thought about this for, you know, a couple of months now that we, we have seen a decline in vet mean guys. I think there's a lot of teams that could use them. I honestly do because there's a lot of young teams that, that don't know whether they're coming or going. You look at someone like OKC, do you then have a, a, a group of young guys that, you know, obviously they've gone through tanking years, they're young. Oh, we're not, we're not going to be any good. It's okay if we lose for a couple of years. And, and that gets ingrained in you. Uh, as a young player, sometimes we then hey, we, oh, we don't have to value every night. We don't have to value wins or losses. That's where a vet can be like, hey guys, like I know we're young, but we're you know okay, we're not we're not to win many games, but we're bullshitting today. We're we're losing this game, but we're bullshitting, right? And I think that there's there's still a value there, and there's not many teams that see that. Like a Memphis, for instance, you know they 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 could do with an old head on that team, in my opinion, right? I think a la Andre Guadalla or a la someone like that back from, you know, three, four years ago when the Warriors um, got him back or a couple of years ago when they got him back but when they brought him in the first time in 2014, 15, um, or sorry, 13, 14 season, 
you know, guys like that, I think, have a value. And if they can give you minutes, great. But I think one out of those last three roster spots to 15 can be should be used for a bet min for most teams. Now, if you if you have a strong-minded system like Miami, you probably don't, you know, they've got probably the most professional system and most army-like system off the floor. And they still have one pro. They still have a vet min guy on there that's sparking orders and, and, and kind of the voice of the coach trickles down to the players. There's a lot of Sacramento is the other one to look at. Like you know, you, it wouldn't hurt you to get a vet Ming guy there for two or three years that can you know bring some professionalism on a, on, on a daily level, right? Um, that it's just been interesting. I, I know you you know you as a development coach probably more pro develop the young guy, but I think as far as team harmony, team culture, you know me, you know making sure things are professional, you can't you're not going to get that many times from a young guy, right? They're trying to find their way, they're trying to find their legs, especially a 15 guy, 14, 13, 14, 15 guy on the roster. He's just trying to do anything he can to get in that 12 and not be in a suit, right? Jock Landau esque. So. Um, it's interesting. It's just an interesting t- topic to see a lot of teams moving away from it. And then it doesn't surprise me that some of these teams end up with culture issues, end up with three guys fighting for the limelight or, or whatever it is, right? And you know what's dying a slow death, Bogues, is the amount of actual leaders in NBA veterans. They, you, you don't really have that leadership in a lot of these guys anymore like you used to. When I was in Dallas, we had J.J. Barea. You know, he was probably the closest one that I've seen. Um, but a lot of these vets too, they're just sort of taking the young guy stance of just like taking care of themselves. They're not really taking guys under their wing. I remember reading about Kevin Garnett, um, you know, and having Sam Mitchell take him under his wing. I remember Kobe telling me that Derek Harper did it for him, you know, where he took him under his wing and sort of told him about how the league runs and, you know, playing with him this first year. And uh, you don't really have a lot of that going on. I think there's a few of these guys that do that. But I think leadership is a big issue today. Um I don't think we have That's enough fair of point, it. actually. Yeah, that's um, a fair point. I think yeah, I think players I think like I remember being in Boston, right? There were two we had two leaders in the team. We had Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker. Antoine Walker, you couldn't shut him up. He's talking to everybody, talking shit, you know, playing, getting in people's faces. That's how he led. You know, he led like, that's the type of a leadership that he thought what leadership was. And then Paul Pierce never did that. Maybe later in his career he did. But they were both young, about the same age, you know, give or take. And Paul would just get his work in. And he wouldn't do speeches. He wouldn't do getting people's faces. He wouldn't do that. Dirk Nowitzki was a guy who just gets his work in. You know, he doesn't really, he didn't, never really did the whole, you know, like getting people together and talking and he, he just, I think there are different leadership styles, but today's player, you know, I don't see a lot of that, to be honest with you. I don't see the Nick Collison's there anymore. I do see a few, don't get me wrong. There are a few good ones, but I don't see that leadership. I think guys, it's a very selfish world we're living in, you know, not only society wise, but basketball wise. And people just want to take care of themselves. Not everybody, but I would say it's dramatically shrunk the talent pool of these vets that I would want around my young players that would actually try to teach them the right ways to do things. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I've mentioned this guy before, Irvin Johnson, not Magic, the other Irvin Johnson. Um, he was he was my uh, vet guy um, that, that really tried to help me out. And I'll give you some examples of things he did. So whenever we went on the road, 
he would sit behind me on the bus as we uh, so we land at the airport, we'd get on the bus and go to um, where, the hotel. He would sit behind me and go through all of my matchups um, without a sheet because you know he's been in the league fifteen years. So he's like, I remember we got him in a soda. He's like, oh, what, what do you have for me on Old Candy? I said, oh, you know, kind of more relies on athleticism, decent touch, left shoulder, blah 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 blah. Yep, and you're missing this, and you miss, you know, if you drive to the bucket, get in his chest because he's a great shot blocker, blah blah blah. Then he'd go, okay, if you get cross match on KG, what do you got? And then their backup is this guy, and he would just, you know, sometimes you'd be like, fuck, like you knew it was coming every bus trip on the road, right? And he would sit right behind me in the bus and just, you know, grill me for five or 10 minutes about personnel. Even though I have my scouting report, even though I'm supposed to read it myself, but he'd reiterate it. And he, he was training me to, hey, make sure make sure you know tendencies going into a game. He also took me, you know, this is, and this, this goes, you've got guys that are loud, guys that aren't. This doesn't even matter. This is off court shit, right? This can be a quiet conversation. He took me out and bought me my first suit. Right, you know, like it, it's stuff like that. I remember wearing a suit once, and and I don't know, the cufflinks weren't on right. Pulls you aside, hey man, like let me fix those for you. It was like a father figure, right? So, yeah, you're probably right. There's not a lot of guys left like that, and that's that's the value of a good guy, a good culture guy, a guy that, you know, this kid's just come from college, doesn't even know how to, you know, dress himself properly. I'm going to help him out. I'm, you know, instead of laughing at him, I'm going to help him, or I'm going to take him out and buy him this, or I'm going to take him out and buy him a meal and ask him, you know. And that that was invaluable to me. I still remember that to this day. And there was there's a lot of guys that, that were doing that back in the day. And I think it's it's it has faded out a little bit because it's like it's become it always kind of has been, but even more a me 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 league. Oh shit! I've only got one year left. I need to get, I need to try and get another vet min deal out, or I need to get another three year deal. And, and guys aren't really thinking about that young guy. It's more like he's, he's here to take my spot. Fuck him. Where I think um, the guys that do do it. Uh, the Collisons of the world or, you know, the Irvin Johnsons of the world where people think, how does he get a roster spot? Udonis Haslam, like, he's not there for his basketball. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're relying on him to give you valuable minutes to win a game, you're in some fucking trouble. But he's... No. Yeah, he's but there for a reason. Him. He's there. He needs to be respected. On a daily basis, if you've got guys pouting and, and Spo goes off at a guy or Pat Riley's not happy with the guy and you think, you know, you've you got a shoulder to lean on with Udonis as your vet and he's going to say, no, they're fucking right, man. That, that's a whole lot more worth in currency than a coach or a GM saying it. So I think it's a fair point, Pro. We're gonna, probably going to start a, a vet school, of um, a cultural school for vets to, to get an extra few years from just being good guys instead of thinking that, you know, J.R. Smith school of like, I can still get 20. Why, I'm, why, not, why am I not getting a, a roster spot? It's like, you probably can, but is that detrimental to our young guys in our development? Are you a good guy in the locker room, you know? Yeah, and that's something that like vets should be thinking about when they get to 29, 30 is, okay, let me, you know, let me start talking to more people. Let me start taking more of a leadership role. Let me start taking more young guys on, under my belt. Let's, you know, let's do that. I remember Rondo telling me when he left Dallas and went, you know, Sacramento, Chicago and, and his other spots, he would take all the young guys and watch film with them you know, and, and show them what he sees, which is invaluable, obviously, how to read pick and rolls and things. But I think players, when they start getting, you know, <coughs> this could even be for overseas players. You know, when you start getting older and you know that, you know, I, I only get a few years left. If you want to hang around the game, start taking that leadership role. Don't just think, all right, well, I could score 20. Dude, that's not what they really want out of you. Maybe they want that out of you twice a year. But they want somebody they could trust in that locker room. They want somebody that, you know, that's going to just take those players and tell, show them the ropes, show them how to be pros. And then, you know, that's going to work 
in your favor exponentially, you know, once your career's over. Because now, like, like Nick Collison's way up in the front office. Haslam's way up in the front office. You know, and they value that. And I think that you could continue to do that. And, you know, look, they want ex-players in this league. They want ex-players to be GMs, to be, you know, head coaches, to be front office figures. They want in those developmental roles. They don't want non-developmental players in those. I mean, non-NBA players to fill those roles if they if they can do without it. So I think it really helps you in your in your value as a player to be able to start doing that and start looking at a broader picture versus all right, how am I going to get my twenty tonight when I'm 33, 34, You know, when I can't do that anymore. You know, to that, and that tra- so, this tra- this translates into into uh, not only other sports but other industries. Um, to an extent, like it translates to business. Like if you're that old dog that you know you're kind of phasing out, and the young, you know, these young go getters have come up. A lot of times, people look at that as a threat. But if you're still valuable to your company about helping them, yeah, there is the odd company that you'll develop someone and they're going to take your job. But that's that's just the way of the world, right? Um, in, in sport, it's much more brutal. But it, this translates to for all the listeners: your business, your small business, whether you're working, you know, you always try to help someone below you and help them. You know, most people remember that. Um, there will be a few circumstances where they, they they cut your Achilles and take your spot, but that's that's the world you live in. Um, but you still got to do. I think it's a. I mean, it's kind of an unwritten rule, at least in professional sports, that once you get to year 10, 11, 12, you should you should be trying to help. Um, even small things like you see, you know, there's, there's. I remember, I know Draymond spoke about it a lot with me about how I taught him to guard the post. I didn't really teach him how to guard the post. I just, I was like, hey man, he, let me show you. I saw him guarding a, a, um, post players in a scrimmage while we were playing when I was in Golden State. And at the end of the session, he was struggling a little bit that one. I took him aside and said, hey man, like you can get away with these arm bars. You can do this. The referees don't usually emphasize this. You can give them a little shove here and affect their shot. All these little things. And he's like, oh shit, man. Like I didn't know I could do that because he came from college. You know, he was trying to chest people and <laughs> like, and, like you can't do that in the NBA. You're allowed to use arm bars. So I spent maybe five minutes and he still talks about it to this day about how he remembers that and it was valuable to his development because someone pulled him aside. So it doesn't always need to be an hour or two hours or every other day. It's, it's little things along the way. Just But we do have guys today that would see um, a guy like that not doing the right, not doing it right and getting killed and being like, oh, that's good for me because I'm going to get his minutes, you know? And it's like, well, are you really though? Like, yeah, maybe for half a season and then you're out of there. But if the club sees you developing guys and helping, it makes a big difference. So I think it's um, it's an interesting conversation. I, I love, I love you know, picking people's brains about it just because there is that, there is that, you know, do we stay young and develop young and, and there's a risk there as well with not having veterans in the locker room as we discussed. And then the, on the flip side, it's like, do we have a couple of veterans and then that hinders our young guys. So it is uh, a bit of a gamble for NBA teams, but that's what they're going through. Speaking of which, pro, Andre Guadala has yet to announce his retirement. Um, <clears throat> I was just texting with him actually five minutes ago and just trying to get get him to give me an answer. Um, he's announcing it via his podcast, bro. I love it. Uh, similar to what I did. He's, uh, I gave him shit. I, I called him LeBron Iguodala via <laughs> text message. I said, what is this decision bullshit? And he's like, man. He, so I guess he's, he's weighing up the pros, cons of, of his body and whether he can get through another full season. Uh, we all get to this phase in our careers, or at least the smarter players do, whether you, you know, that one year, extra towards the end could be could could ramp up your body to be hurting five years earlier right um that's the thing you have to think about and he's at that point now 
Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what decision he makes. I know that's another guy we speak of with the vet, veteran thing that they'd love to have him back, even though they probably don't need him as much on that team um, as far as a veteran leadership because I think they've got enough vets now on that team. But I, I think they like him because he, he pulls young guys aside and holds them accountable, even guys that aren't playing. I remember he used to get mad at, at um, you know, we'd be up 30 and our bench would get cleared even with four minutes left and then they'd be bullshitting, he would, oh my God, he would light them up. He would light them up like something stupid, like in the locker room, you know, we're still in by 27 and, and they're kind of like, whoa, it was only a three point, you know, we lost three points, big deal. And he was just losing his shit because he's like, you guys aren't playing the right way. I'm going to tell coach not to play you guys again in these in these garbage minutes and just let the starters finish it out, just shit like that. Because he's like, if you're going to go out there because we're up 30, teams are watching you. Other teams are watching you. You're, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the team. So, uh, interested to see which way he goes with all that. Maxi Kleber, pro, <clears throat> three-year, $33 million. Um, I think that's a great signing. I think I, I really like his game, especially in their system. But a guy that can guard multiple positions, a, a great switch guy in on-ball screens that can you know can go small ball lineups and have him guard um, – you know, and has a three ball. So I think that's a really good bargain deal for him. Um, for Dallas, sorry, 11 million a year for a guy like that. Uh, probably could have got a little bit more if he went somewhere else and held out, but it's great they've kept him, right? Huge, huge for them. And, and for him, look, he's got 25 minutes a night. He knows his role. They need him. Uh, they need his toughness, his defense, his athleticism, his shot making. They need it. And for 11 million a year, it's a steal. Probably could have got 15 in the open market, maybe 13 to 15. But I think it's a perfect marriage for both sides. He knows what his role is and he's happy with it. They could rely on him to give them that, like I said, that toughness of defense. And this is like where they value the development of young players for them. And he came up in their development program where like, here's a guy that, you know, has hurt most of his career. Casey Smith and Jeremy Holsop, all those guys got him right, you know, physically. He improved his shooting. You know, they got a good shooting coach there, Peter Patton, and they sort of did what they needed to do. Now they could sign him for cheaper than it would have been signing another guy in free agency. You know, he's a great backup for, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith. He could play some backup five. He could even play some backup three. And I, I, I love the signing for them. I think – you know, I think he's invaluable to that team and he could play so many different roles. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy as hell for him. It's a great, great signing for him. Yeah, and just a, a great a, a great cog. So people might look at it like, I don't even know what he averaged last seven season. Seven and five. He's not a guy that's going to, yeah. Oh, seven and five, what are you guys talking mm-hmm. about? You know, um, but he's a valuable piece in their, in their puzzle. Great locker room guy, good guy, can shoot the ball, can play multi-positions. So great signing there. Alonzo Ball still has a knee issue pro. Doubtful to be regular, ready for the regular season. So this is something that's becoming more and more um, noted, notable for Alonzo Ball. He's got that bad knee. So interested to see if he can get healthy, but that'll be – you know, I think they were really good when he was in the lineup, uh, especially defensively. You know, they had you know himself and Caruso and DeRozan and Levine, like really good athletic guards. And it was noticeable when he wasn't out there. Um, in my opinion, I thought I thought he was really good for him for Chicago when he was healthy. But you could tell something was not right there throughout the season. And, and now it looks like he won't be ready again, which which hurts Chicago pro. Um, I'd love to see them fully healthy. Yeah, it's it's going to hurt them for sure. I mean, because he's he's such a good passer. You know, he's such a He's not a flashy player. He's not like his brother. His brother's a lot different. 
um, more dynamic offensively, but he's got such great vision that allows Zach Levine to be off the ball, DeRozan to be off the ball. He can get Patrick Williams the ball where he needs it, Vucevic where he needs it. And he's great when organizing the team. And I think that, you know, it's a great compliment to have Dragic coming off the bench for him, Caruso coming off the bench as well. But like without him, now you got to start Dragic, do, you know, more minutes than probably Dragic was expecting with his older body, which, you know, isn't great. Or let's start Caruso, maybe. Start Caruso, maybe. Yeah, for sure. But Caruso's not really a great point guard. But you're right. Maybe. Maybe it gets it into him, you know, get rid, gets rid of the ball, gets it back. Maybe you can make open shots or straight line drive. Limits the risk. Limits the risk of, of dragage, you know, in his age as well. Like you said, that's a fair point. You don't want him playing 30, 35 minutes to start the season and then does a hammy or a calf or something like that by Christmas. Yeah, know? exactly. So, look, I, hopefully they can, you know, get those guys right over there and, you know, get, I mean, get Wanzo right and maybe it'll you know maybe it'll take a couple more weeks or a month hopefully not not too much more because i really do think that chicago they underachieved last year but they had some injury issues i think with a healthy patrick williams if they, if ball can get right you know levine and DeRozan, obviously and vucevic i think they you know they got a decent second unit um you know but they need them for sure they got to take the next step they got to take that next step now because i mean the, the, they had a, they had a decent year they were better than most people thought um, they fell off a little bit. They were dominating the first, you know, third of the year, but they got to take that next step and get to a second round slash maybe scratching third round, um, which I, I don't think they'll get this season. But they got to get to the second round at least, um, in my opinion, to continue that growth of that young squad that they're putting together. And I like them; they're an exciting team to watch. Luka Doncic suing his mum, pro. What is going on wow. there to control his own trademark? So his mum has the IP rights to his trademark, I believe. Is it Luka Doncic 7 or whatever it is, something along those lines. But uh, trouble in the family there. You hate to see this kind of stuff. You hate to see it played out publicly. Um, You know, most NBA players, myself included, have have issues with family from time to time uh, that pop up throughout their careers. And you you generally like that handled uh, behind closed doors. Whenever it hits the media, it just, it becomes much more messy. So... Um, that cannot be not not be a good thing for his psyche. I believe you know he's, he's very close, was very close to his mum. I believe to her now, and you hope, you hope this gets uh, this gets worked out quick. I just I just don't see how you come back from things like this once once it goes in the public eye and family members are suing each other. Um, it never really ends well. Yeah, it's never pretty. I had no idea about it to be honest. Even before you know, once you just mentioned, it, it's the first time I've heard of it. And um, yeah, I have no idea about it, man. That's. That's too bad. Hopefully the thing could get worked out. It's, you know, family members, money, you know, it's a lot of money, obviously, on, on his end. Um, I have no idea what it entails. I, I wouldn't even, you know, make believe that I did know. So hopefully it gets worked out and those guys, you know, they put it behind them and sort of move forward, man. That's that's uh that's not that's not pretty to read about. Yeah, it sucks. You hate reading about it. So hopefully that all goes well and Everyone comes to their senses there. Um, some people are killing Luca for it, I've read, saying that, how do you treat your mum like that? And some people are killing his mum, saying, how can you not give you some of the trademark? So I guess it's in the eye of the beholder, but hopefully they can figure that out. Horace Grant, uh, I think in financial trouble, bro. He's, he sold his three-peat rings. Um, $297,000 he got for those three. Um, so you hope he's doing all right, but that's it's never a good sign when the championship ring is up for sale, bro. <laughs> it's a... Uh, that's usually the the omen or the grim reaper knocking at your door, right? Financially, so hopefully that can go towards you know him, him not having to pay debts or 
bankruptcy notices or something like that. I hope. I hope. I don't know the context. I'm, could, maybe he just didn't want to look at him anymore. <laughs> he didn't like. Uh, no. he didn't, maybe he didn't like the last dance documentary. Who? I mean, I, I don't know. Because um, he won the he won three in, in, in the early nineties. But you just hope that everything's all right there. It's just another story of an athlete in financial trouble, bro. Bogues, it's never good to see, man. It's um, you know. This money just, you know, when you're playing, I don't know anything about it. You would know it, not me. But it's, you know, you think it's going to last forever. It keeps flowing in. And then when you hit the wall of like, okay, you don't get those either max or high level contracts anymore. You start going from the 12 million a year to mid-level exception to, you know, buy, you know, biannual exception to vet minimum. And you keep spending like you're making that top money. That money goes pretty quickly. There's not many players, you know, especially in the 90s when they didn't make a lot of money. In comparison to today, you know, it's not wealth. It's just they they made money, and they just keep they just keep piling it on. You know, that 30 for 30 broke was unbelievable with some of the scams that they get caught up in, some of the money they they spend on, and they just don't really think about how to save it going forward. You know, Vin Baker, a guy that I lived with when I was in Dallas, made, you know, close to $100 million. And he, you know, he had this house that was like, he was paying like 400000 a month in mortgage. And I, I talked to his financial guy. I'm like, what the fuck? Bowling alley downstairs, like, you know, what are you doing? You know, and they just don't understand that, you know, look, live comfortable, a little bit above comfortable, obviously. You can have nice things, but at some point you gotta put this stuff away. You gotta plan for the future. You gotta control spending. I don't know anything about his financials, Horace Grant. So I'm not well, gonna he made sixty seven million in his career, bro. Back yeah, then. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Back then. That's that's hundred and fifty million today. Um yeah. factor of inflation and and all that bullshit. So, yeah, I mean, you, you hate to see it. Um, you're right. I mean, I've seen guys spending and they just can't turn that tap off once they spend. Um, and, and you want to enjoy it to an extent, but I always kind of had the mindset of like living decent in the NBA, but being able to save up and stay smart enough that when I retire, I can maintain kind of a, a decent lifestyle, right? Um, not, you know, not crazy stuff, but like some guys that I see flying private and chartered jets on their own dime um, <laughs> that are in the NBA right now. And look, some people might say, what's well, a big deal? But you do 10 or 15 of those a year, that's that's a couple of million dollars, right? And I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm like, you're only earning 5 million. You know, you, do the math, tax, two point, like what, what are you doing? You know, I'm not not great at maths, but that <laughs> it doesn't fit into <laughs> the puzzle. Um, and that goes to your point, you know, the, the newest car every year, all that kind of stuff. And family is the other one that we've spoken about at length as well. So you, um, you never want like... I don't value my ring like that. Like I, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but like you know, if, if I don't, but I would never sell it if that makes sense, right? Like I, I don't value it to an extent where I'm like, oh, I look at it every day and look at this, it's so cool. I, I, it's a nice memory. Um, I've got much more important things in my life than the ring, but I still wouldn't sell it. I know that you know if it comes to a phase that that, I've, that I have to sell that, I've, I've really screwed up, right? So and I think that's that's for most pro athletes. Once that ring goes up, it can't be easy seeing that you you know seeing yourself in the media and. Guys like us two assholes questioning whether you can you can eat your next meal, you know? No, I know. It's crazy. And, you know, Tim Grover used to tell me uh, when he was with MJ that a lot of his teammates that were making a lot less money than MJ 
would try to keep up with the Jordans, keep up, you know, like if he, if he came to, you know, came to practice at Ferrari the next day or the next week, player X would come with a Ferrari. And he'd be like, dude, what are you doing? You can't keep up with this. <laughs> like, that, like he's, yeah, he's generational money. You're making this money. It's shoe decent. brand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, stop, stop. And that's and with social media. And that's what, that's what's, you know, if you, if you do any type of research with this stuff with kids, you know, keeping up with the Jeffersons, they used to call it, um, you know, with social media and you're keeping up with people you go to school with or people you're friends with because they're taking a picture next to a Mercedes that doesn't even belong to them that they just saw. Exactly. The That's the thing. That's what kills me. I had this conversation today in the sauna at my gym, funny enough, bro. So you must have been listening in, but it's like, People get jealous of these photos and lifestyles that they've rented the car for a fucking day or they've seen it in the street or they got a free holiday and I look at me at the behind, like it's just like, oh man. And you feel bad for these young kids because they think I'm a loser because I'm sitting at home with my family or I'm a loser because I'm in my in the house studying, right? It's like, no, that's not real. It's not real. Um, yeah, Elon and, Musk said that. I think he said he was on like Joe Rogan or something. He was saying that that's a big part of our problem in today's society. Like, so many people lying on social media about how good their life is and their life isn't really all that good. Not, I mean, there are some that are, don't get me wrong, but then you got that normal kid that thinks really that they should be that happy. And well, like you said, my life must suck because I don't have that. That's completely not true. And that, that these are deep rooted issues with this social media that it's so bullshit that I would say with no study done, obviously on my end, I would say 75% of the shit that we see on social media is fabricated. And at one point That's or higher. another, yeah, <laughs> I would being, say 90 nice. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like even I got a huge Disney guy and they got the, the, you know, Splash Mountains, arguably their top ride ever, right? Splash Mountains, um, it's sort of based on this racist movie called Song in the South. Um that Disney put out in like the 50s or 60s. And it was about this guy, Uncle Remus, that had these like African-American dude, wasn't all that smart, you know, had racial overtones, not like N-word or anything like that, don't get me wrong. But then he had these cartoon characters. I didn't really know anything about the movie. So I go on the, tr- I go on the ride and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to bring back a book or a stuffed animal or something for my daughter because these characters that are in the ride, pretty cool. And the lady literally had to like bring me down this, like, like I tried to ask her, like at the cash register, she brought me to the side and say, look, like, this is like a racist movie that, you know, that like Disney's trying to like go under, you know, put under, you know, throw away. Like you can't get the movie, supposedly like a couple of people <laughs> yeah. like, like bankrupted the movie. You can't get it anywhere. So now they're, because of people finding out about this, Disney's, um, Disney's changing the ride. It's going to be about some, uh, some like frog princess or something like that. And like online the other day, I saw it on TikTok or something like, oh, Disney's saving, you know, like saving, um, uh, Splash Mountain. It's not going to go with this new thing. It's going to go there. You know, here's my blog post to read about it. You know, it's, you know, they're about to have a, you know, a, a big like conference about it. Like most of the stuff that you read is bullshit. And, I don't know why I put that, you know, that out there with the Disney thing, but like most of the stuff that I scroll through is just like this guy with a, a Mercedes that you know that's not theirs. You know, like 
Uh, it's just, you know, this vacation that this guy's not on or this girl's not on or, you know, it's just, it's crazy and it's killing And then, yeah, factoring it back to a basketball team, is the, there is the competitiveness of trying to keep yeah. up with guys that you should know, have no business keeping up with, like yeah. period. Uh, we'd see it with, with, you know, I'd see it a little bit when guys signed max, max contracts on a few of the teams I was on. You'd have guys that were on, on, on mid-levels trying to keep up with them and you're like, what are, what are you doing? Like, you know, you, it's... That's a net loss game. Like, dude, he's he's on twenty. You're on ten, bro. Like, it, it's not gonna, not going to work out well for you. Like, um, and, and that's the competitiveness of athletes. They they take it off. I've mentioned that before. They take it off off the court. Like, my house is bigger than yours, or yeah, my girlfriend's better looking, or my wife's better looking, so or stupid. my car's better. Better, you know. Just it's just a you end up um, like Horace Grant selling three rings. All right, last thing with the American. Uh, well, I guess this is college. I didn't follow this too much, but um, South Carolina women's team has cancelled two games versus BYU Pro. Um, there was some alleged racism between Duke and the BYU women's volleyball teams. They played in BYU, a women's volleyball game, um, a number of weeks ago now, early September. There were allegations of racism from the crowd. Full investigation was launched as far as I believe there was videos um available to see. They were actually gone through to see people's mouths moving, what they were saying. They found absolutely no evidence of those comments made um, whatsoever. They actually interviewed people from in the crowd, I believe, pro. And anyway, the investigation was, they said they were 100% sure none, that that was not said. They threw someone out on the day too, mind you. Mm -hmm. um, and they apologized to them because they did not say that. Anyhow, uh, a week later, South Carolina's women's coach has has declined to play BYU because of these uh, racist remarks, which we now, you know, mo most people led to believe that were false allegations. Um, is this is this going to continue with BYU? Or should they just scrap all their home games? Um, was, I mean, what is going on over there? I mean, Bogues, like, I think that like we all get riled up when we read about something and it's not true, or we don't get all the facts. You and I have done it countless times, even on this podcast, where we would read a tweet, or I'd be texting you like. Oh shit! They really said this, and it was. Oh, what was the one at NBA Central with two L's? Yeah, <laughs> that's got us twice. Jeez, <laughs> fucking idiot! So when I read yeah. about the story, and I was like, "Ah, oh, God, that sucks." You know, like that's that's not good for anybody. And Don Staley, the coach of South Carolina, is one of the like most famous um, point guards ever to play the WNBA national champion, coach at Temple, South Carolina. Um, a lot of social justice, a lot of, you know, like great leadership, all that stuff. She's she's big in the media a lot. I respect her as a coach and a player. And I think that what happened was, you know, she got all like caught up in it. And, you know, I did a little bit too. I thought it was a little blatant, like, oh, wow. And what happened was then she says, well, we're going to cancel these two games. She plays them in a home and home this year, next year. And I, you know, he said, oh, I did my own research. And then when they started to investigate, like you said, videos, people's testimony, there's phones everywhere. There's people everywhere. Not one person said it. And then this girl, um, I think her name is Rachel Richards. She's got a godmother, uh, Lisa uh, Pamplin, who's going for circuit court judge in Fort Worth, tweeted about it. And she's big on, you know, big race baiter. And uh, she's, I guess people have been looking into her. She said, my goddaughter is the only black starter for Duke's volleyball team. And um, every time she served, she was given a racist remark. 
My goddaughter's, I'm sorry, uh, she was threatened by a white male and told to watch her back going to the team bus. A police officer had to be put by the bench. Now, if you watch video of the match, she never looks back in the crowd. She never like, you know, wow, this is like, like as she's serving, she never like, never really reacted to it. And then sort of said it after the fact. And And then she had a hard, hard game, I believe too, right? I think so. That's yeah, I didn't even read into yeah. that. But like, yeah. I think, I think what happened was Don Staley didn't want to like go back on her deal. Like she's like, you know, she's all about it. We're canceling these. It's not good for our, our girls. And then she didn't want to have to eat crow and be like, yeah, I messed up. I didn't get all the facts. My bad. I apologize. Let's just move forward. Um, we'll play the games. You know, but obviously I was trying to do what's best for my team. She's big on, I did my own research, talked to my own people, sort of reminded me of people who did their own research about the, you know, the vaccines and stuff that people were killing for doing. And now she's doing her own research for this stuff. Probably a bad analogy, but like still like, you know, I think she should just go back on it and be like, look, I didn't get all the intel. Obviously they did an investigation. There's no video. There's no you know, second gunman on the grassy knoll. There's nothing like there's not even smoke on this thing. There's just her word versus, you know, no, with no evidence. Let's just go. Yeah. And, and these days, like if those words were said, you don't, we, I don't condone it as I'm sure you don't, you, no. you, you do not condone those words. But these days, if someone mutters anything similar to what was alleged, the whole, cra- you'd see people's jaws drop around the person that said it these days. You'd see people like, no, like, well, that's fucking wrong. Like, yeah. exactly. People, you'd see the pause in people's faces and then you'd start seeing some sort of conflict. I'd, l- I'd like to believe you would. I think p- people aren't tolerating racial epithets and all that kind of stuff. When you when you make allegations like this, you, you do you do need some proof. Like you need, you know, you don't want to justice Smollett it, right? And, and, and I think that these kind of things that, you know, get thrown out with absolutely no proof hurt the cause. I think that, you know, down the line when someone really does experience that and comes out and says, hey, I experienced this, it's going to be like, here we go again, you know, yeah. another one. Uh, is is yeah. this true this time? And it diminishes the, 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 obviously the fight against those words never being used and people not, you know, being racist to one another, sexist, X, Y, Z, right? Um, it's just disappointing that, you know, I, I, I believe that that investigation was pretty pretty in-depth. Um, we know colleges are, are, are very into, you know, the inclusivity and equality and probably go even over the top than they should with that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They're not tolerating that. People will say, okay, BYU, predominantly white school, um, Mormon school, whatever. But, you know, I, I'd, hate, I'd hate to believe that it was just swept under the rug. So I, I believe the investigation, but... The, like you said, now the double down from South Carolina about not playing um, is pretty disappointing, and it doesn't set a good precedent. So, I mean, I, I didn't know too much about the story to at least the basketball part of it. I heard about the volleyball part, but then you said no, it's actually involved basketball now because teams won't play their basketball team. I'm like, yeah, and 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 even so, look, devil's advocate. Even if it did happen, uh, someone did say that. Um, you, you hope the school handles it right. But because of one idiot, you don't want to now punish a whole separate program. You know what I mean? It just, I, I don't know. I, I think you punish the person at hand 
and that's the way you, you move forward. But we're also we'll also get tarnished with two white men discussing a racism issue, pro. So we don't want to go too in depth into it these days in 2022. We'll have people knocking on our door, but um, I think it's poor. I think it's poor by South Carolina. Very very poor. Yeah, and the precedent is. If a fan says something to me, what are like we just start canceling games now every time something's said? And you know, I guarantee you, something was said. I guarantee you, she was being heckled. Um, yeah. I can bet my life on that. From what I understand, she was having a stinker of a game, and they were getting into her. But the, I don't, you know, was was that word used? Was the, those words used? I don't believe so. As as per yeah. the investigation, you can only go by the witnesses and the people around it. Now, is, is this some big some big conspiracy where they got a thousand people together and say, hey? We all need to give the same. I, I highly Jeez. doubt that. There's, 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 there's going to be someone, you know. So that sucks. Um, but onto a lighter note, Eurobasket Pro. Have you followed any of this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Man, some shock, some shock losses today, Pro. Serbia have gone down. They're down and out. They are gone. They're packing their bags. So we're we're down to the we were down to the final sixteen, um, which is now a knockout stage. Um, Serbia were shocked by Italy, Pro. Ninety four to eighty six. Um, My Jokic people. really the. Yeah, Jokic, really, the Italians, <laughs> the yeah, pizza or people. the pasta or, or the actual people? All of it, all of it. Uh, <laughs> all of pizza and pasta first, but yes. Uh, uh, Jokic was really the only shining light for uh, Serbia throughout the tournament. He was dominant, but he had 32, 13, and 4. Uh, Italians shot the piss out of the wall from the three. Um, Spesu, Meli, and Fontecchio, uh, their big three combined to shoot 12 for 24 from three, uh, 50%. So a real good number there. But they they definitely, you know, and, and Serbia has struggled with them over the last, even the leading months coming into that tournament. So Italy kind of have their number. They move on. Um, Greece defeat Czech Republic. That's pretty pretty um, standard. Uh, Giannis, 27, 10, and 5. He's the MVP of the tournament easily. He'll get the MVP, in my opinion. I, I, well, actually, Luca is the other one. But, yeah, but, giving a market in. Yeah, Markinen scored. I, I, I'm just going. I'm going with Giannis. I think he's being fantastic. Sure. I think Luca's Luca's the other one competing. I think the, the difference for me is I think Slovenia are deeper than than Greece. Um, I think Slovenia's got got probably a bit better roster than Greece do. Greece have the standard veterans, a good mix, but Giannis has been real dominant. Two big threes in that game, pro late. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the highlights, but Czech were kind of within striking distance all throughout late in that game. He hit one with a couple of minutes left and then hit another one with 40 seconds left to, to put the game out of reach. So, um, And he was two for eight. He was 0 for six at that point, I believe. So he's still confident with his shot. Uh, France beat Turkey. This was actually a good game. I watched the... the Kind of the end of the fourth and, and overtime, um, 87 86 beat him in overtime. Uh, Rudy was huge, pro. Um, he, he had two or three key offensive rebounds both late in the fourth and overtime to get them over the line. Rudy finished with 20 and 17, 17 rebounds in a FIBA game. He's very, very impressive. Turkey box out in this game, pro. They win. Simple as that. Uh, they, they just couldn't get. They could not. Rudy. I think he. I think he dunked home the uh, bucket to put it into overtime, mind you. So they needed to box out. Slovenia pummel Belgium. Luca thirty five five and five, eighty eight seventy two. Pretty easy win for Slovenia. Finland beat Croatia as you just mentioned. Markinen forty three and nine, absolutely on fire. He was hitting step backs and side step backs, pulling up in transition into the hoop and dunking on people, but they they defeat Croatia 94-86. I think Zubats might have got hurt in that game too. He only played two and a half minutes, so something's um, not right there. But it was a good, a good battle. Bogdanovic was shooting it well for Croatia, but uh, Finland too good there. Poland defeat Ukraine. Um, 
9486. AJ Slaughter Pro from Louisville, Kentucky, Poland, um, <laughs> with 24 points. So obviously a naturalized American. Um, Germany defeat Montenegro. Schroeder's played well this tournament, Pro. Uh, I know we give him a lot of shit, and we still should because he left a lot of money on the table. But he had um, he had 22 points. I think he's been really good this tournament. Real steady force. Montenegro not a powerhouse. They beat them 85-79, but um, they advance. Spain defeats Lithuania. Now Lithuania are pretty stacked. Um, so this was a, a pretty impressive win considering all the players that Spain have lost. Um, they were led by um, Lorenzo Brown from Roswell, Georgia, Spain. <laughs> There's another one. Yeah, another joke. I'm going to use that again. I remember. He was, he was really good. He had 28 points. Really, really good player. Um, but they move on. So in the final eight pro, we've got Spain versus Finland, Germany versus Greece, France versus Italy, and Slovenia versus Poland. So kind of a strange top eight there, Pro. A lot of teams at the start of the tournament you wouldn't really expect, but um, let's just – you know a few of the players. I know a few of the players. Let's just um, go outside our depth and pick the winners. So Spain versus Finland, Pro, who you got? Spain. Spain. I'll go Spain as well, um, although Marketing is balling and, and they're a pretty pretty decent team, but I think yeah, Spain – Yeah, I would just, bet heavily on them if, if I'm picking Spain, but – that's just me, but go ahead. <laughs> I think Spain just been there before. They, they they know what it takes. They've been it's not their first rodeo. Germany versus Greece. Ah oh, man, I'll go Greece. Yeah, Greece. I'm going with Giannis. I'm on the Giannis train. I think Germany is solid, but I'm, I'm liking um, Greece. France versus Italy. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Italians, even though you know they're probably not the the greatest pick, but I'm gonna go with the Italians. Yeah, I'm going with France. France are very hot and cold, though. They have patches where they look like the dream team, and they have patches where they look horrible, and they're fighting with each other. So they need to clean it up a little bit, um, but they are there. I'm going with France, and the last one, Slovenia v. Poland. I'll, I'll, I'll take your pick because it's going to be Slovenia, as is mine. So our... Um, our picks are pretty similar besides France and Italy, but it's been fun. I enjoy the Eurobasket, and I enjoy the FIBA World Cup and Olympics. They're, they're good fun. One bad game, and you're out. So I think you can watch it online for the Australians and Americans. There's, there's a few websites you can Google that are, are live streaming the stuff for like 10 bucks a month or some shit like that. So check that out. NBL preseason is kicked in. <clears throat> it's still pretty rough. I, I don't. It's even rougher than the NBA preseason at times because guys don't even have all their full rosters at the moment. So I don't take too much into it. I love I love seeing people, you know, react to preseason games pro. <laughs> oh, sure. Like, uh, this thing's going to be awesome. Oh, that guy had 30. I'm like, it's a preseason. Pump the brakes. Um, the lights aren't on. The lights aren't bright yet. There's no one in the crowd. Chill out. Um, that moves me on to NBL expansion. I just probably not a conversation for you, Pro, because you wouldn't be too aware. But we're currently a ten league team. There is talks of expansion over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's ramped up again. There has been three cities that have been noted: the Gold Coast, the Northern Territory, and Canberra. So I'd just like to ask the listeners: Where would you like to see a team? Is it one of those three? Um, is it a, a team that's your local, I know Newcastle's got a few fans out there that want to bring them back. Uh, as people are saying, we shouldn't expand. People are saying we should. For me, Pro, I think this league, I think 12 is, is a sweet spot for me. I think by 2028, 2030, if we can have 12 teams in the league, that would be fantastic. I think more than that, you're starting to tread water a little bit because we're a small country, obviously, but I think 12 is a very nice number. Um, out of the three teams pitched, Gold Coast, Northern Territory, and Canberra, they all have their pros and cons. Gold Coast has been done before, hasn't survived. I think a little bit of a different circumstance now with the population boom since the last time that NBL team 
the Northern Territory Pro, top of Australia. They don't have a sporting team there, period, a professional sporting team. They have mm. a few uh, football teams that play one or two games every year as part of a tourism marketing slash campaign. That would get a lot of government money um, and that's why it's being looked at. People will, will say, well, why looking at the Northern Territory? I think the government will throw a lot of money, both state and federal, uh, probably more state, probably not federal, but probably more state to get a team there. You'd have a couple, you know, you'd be lucky to get 500 to 1,000 people there, I believe, in the crowd, but I don't think that's the underlying driver of why they're considering the Northern Territory. They also see it as a gateway to Asia. I'm not big on that. Um, I think the Asian leagues hold their own weight, the Philippines and whatnot. They have a very good league over there. It's well supported. So I don't know if that works too well in the thinking. And then Canberra have had a team previously. It's the state capital here, our version of your Washington, D.C., where all the politics and stuff is done. They've seen a little population boom as well. Um, and that one, I think, will have some government involvement as far as funding as well. So listeners, uh, NBL fans, let me know what, what I've missed. Um, would you expand? Would you not? What's a good number for you? I'd love to know um, just because I think it's a good, co- good conversation to have. The NBL doesn't want to go too big too quick, but I think it needs to continue to grow. So just a, a little round out there, Pro, with um, trying to get a few more teams in the league. You know, leagues are always trying to explore different ways to make money, man. And, you know, expansion's a big way with expansion fees and team fees and, you know, uh, another slice of the pie. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of expansion, especially when you start getting that sweet spot and you start going over that sweet spot and you start watering down the, you know, you start watering down the whole talent pool. Um, The NBA is talking about it, obviously. And it's tough, man. It's tough. It's a... It's taken them a while to sort of calibrate with the NBA. Even when Miami, when Miami and Charlotte back in the day got in, and then you know they got in Minnesota and Orlando, you know they were bad for a while. It took them took them a while. You know it's it's hard, man. But you know that, leagues are never going to stop trying to grow. And as much as you want to try to stop it for the betterment of the league, you, you know there are too many people wanting to make money. The money's the stakes and the money are too high. And they're just, they just, they see that and their tunnel vision towards it. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, I agree. You don't want to go too big, too quick. I think 12 is a reasonable number for the next five, five, 10 year plan, in my opinion. I think beyond that, like you said, and look, there's a lot that goes into expansion. I'm not for, you know, a team just popping up in a city and, oh, we're going to build this. Like, I think you got to be integrated with the junior, the junior basketball community. You got to have powerful business people aligned with, with, with any, any pitch. It just can't be, you know, leagues back 10 years ago that popped up and then didn't survive were just mom and pop investors, essentially, right? You know, like you, me, five other guys, we all put in four, five hundred thousand here, four, five hundred thousand there. We pull up and, and the, don't forget that just buys you a license, then you need running costs mm-hmm. and you, you're going to have a loss for the first four, five, six, seven years potentially, right? So the issue usually that arises with these teams pro, at least in Australia, is they buy their license, first couple of years, the honeymoon period, everyone's excited and then year three, year four go, hey, we, we just lost, we've lost 800 this year, everyone needs to chip in another 200 and it gets to a point where guys are like, I don't want to chip in out of my pocket anymore, I can't afford this. Um, or their business kind of starts to struggle away from uh, – the basketball and then the first thing they cut off their books is what the, the sport investment so you want people that can sustain losses that can sustain you know potentially a loss with the club that can move it as a tax credit to other businesses in their in their portfolio blah 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 so and the nbl's done a, a much better job of that having those kind of people involved and i think that's what 
is the, the, the underlying factor for popping up with a new license in, in new cities. You just, the mom and pop dream, unfortunately, um, as majority owners, is, is, is gone. You just can't do it. You got to have some big, powerful business people involved um, to launch a new club. All right, documentaries. Did you watch any of these, Pro? Both, yeah. You watched them both. Beautiful. Did some homework, Pro. Listeners mm-hmm. going to be happy. But um, I watched two documentaries over the last couple of weeks um, that I want to talk about. Um, and I told Pro to, to watch them because they were, they were good. I, I'd love to love, love to hear thoughts in a second. But the first one, it's an untold series on Netflix for those of you who aren't familiar. They did two. They did uh, basketball-related Rise and Fall of N1, the N1 brand, and the other one was Operation Flagrant Fail, which was Tim Donahue's story. So we'll touch on the, the N1, Rise and Fall of N1. Now, look, I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't huge into the street ball portion of the N1 stuff when they were doing the tours. I wasn't an avid watcher of that, but I was a fan of the brand. Um, I remember having the T-shirt. I think I was in. I think it was in '95 or '94 or '95 or '96. I had one of the N1 original OG T-shirts that had the funny sayings on them, like you know, "I'm going to take this trophy and then your girlfriend," like all these kind of funny uh, monikers they had on T-shirts with like the big muscle man. Um, and I was always a fan then. And then followed N1, followed the progress. I remember the first mixtape. Um, came out here in Australia finally and, and we were all trying to copy the moves, like trying to, you know, fake throw the ball behind people's heads and make them spin around and the crossovers and all that kind of stuff. It was huge here as it was in America. And then when I went to the AIS, we got an N1 sponsorship. So they 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 supplied all our shoes. So we were in N1. So I had a real close tie to N1. I really, I really love the brand. Um, and then obviously the street ball kind of circuit on ESPN, they used to televise um, came later. I wasn't. A, I wasn't an avid follower of that. I still love NBA pure basketball, but I, I did love the M1 brand. It was different. Um, but the documentary was interesting. It was. I mean, they they took over the world for a bit basketball wise, and so much so that you know, in the documentary they mentioned that Nike Nike was alert. Nike was aware of them. Nike was, and Nike came out with that famous commercial with 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 was it Jason Williams and a few other guys of the of the squeaky shoe uh, song with the squeaky squeaky shoe and the bouncers. And it's just a shame it ended the way it did. Greed, essentially, that, that's what ended it, Pro. I don't know if you agree, but the players were paid just as regular employees. Um, some were paid 20, 30 grand a year. Some were paid 100. They started infighting in a locker room about their salaries. Why are you getting paid this much? Why are you getting paid this much? And they brought in the professor. So I won't ruin it for everyone watching, but I think it's a great story um, about how brand just probably got too big for its capabilities and for its resources like they got they got way too big and they, they needed another hundred employees to, to, to facilitate how big they they'd grown to um, and it ended up ended up obviously it's still around I think conglomerates bought them out that I think there's a conglomerate that bought and one feeler champion they're all under the same umbrella now I believe made out of the same warehouse they just chuck a different stamp on it um, but did you enjoy it? I mean, I don't know if you were a fan of AM1 back in the day or if you wore the old, the old, you know, Thai cheese when you were in your, in your younger days, pro, but uh, <laughs> good documentary. Bogues, it was really good. Really interesting how they started it and the people involved. Um, you know, just watching, it's funny, like, I remember seeing it. I remember seeing the professor and those guys in the, in the show they had. I didn't really watch it a lot, but I would like, if it was on, I would watch it a little bit. I was with the Celtics at the time. I remember the uh, professor entering the draft. He was at a Juco in like Seattle or Portland, and he for went his eligibility to go to the draft. Anyways, I was like, ah, 
the streetball stuff. Like I used to read about streetball a lot in New York. Uh, a lot of books written about it. Um, you know, Heaven is a Playground was one of them. It's the city game, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then I went to Jordan Camp. And Jordan Camp in Santa Barbara was a bunch of rich kids that basically millionaires' sons, actors' sons, athletes' sons. And like on their breaks at the dorms, there'd be a, like a bunch of these kids in a circle. I'm like, what the hell is this? And I'm watching these like rich kids that, you know, couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. And they were trying to like go go at each other and go like one on one, and it was a circle. And one guy had to dribble it between the other guy's legs and and go to the other side of the gauntlet, basically. And so like, no basket. Yeah, and I'm asking, I'm like, with no basket, just like <laughs> doing the dribble moves. And I'm like, you know, what the? F-? And I asked the kid, I'm like, what what's going on? Oh, this is the end one stuff. You know, like this is what they play in the crowd, and this is what we want to do. And I was like, wow. And it had a huge part of it. And look, it's like anything else, folks. It was a big thing for a while. They captured lightning in a bottle. And the players, yeah, they were underpaid. But come on, I mean, what, you know, players are, players are thinking they're dicked over in every sport for years. All they had to do, look, they signed those deals. Regardless exactly. of like how good or bad, you sign the deal. Hey, look, I didn't like my deal in, in Dallas, my first deal. I thought it was highway robbery, but I signed the deal. And I'm like, I can't be mad. I signed the deal. They gave it to me. That's it. <laughs> yep. So like, what are you going to do? Right. So instead of going to them and look, they're streetball guys, you know, a lot of them didn't play or go to college. A lot of them are just like hustlers. Like they didn't know how to negotiate. It was all about, you know, hustling. Right. If they went to them and been like, Hey, look, we want this. I think we deserve this and, and come to some type of an agreement. Maybe, but Again, it's everybody's side, just like the Donahue thing. Everybody has a side in this. I don't think we got the full truth in anyone's side. I think we got portions of it. And it's like, what are you going to do? It was a great thing for a while. It just, they didn't have enough behind it. Like you said, they needed more people. They needed, you know, the play. Like, I think people just like the Globetrotters, they get a little sick of it. And the Globetrotters lasted a lot longer than them. But like, people loved it, filled out arenas. But then you could see it when they were like in the show and they were going, they're not in Madison Square Garden or, you know, Utah Jazz's facility anymore. They're in junior colleges and D1 schools and D2 schools and high school gyms. And I'm like, okay, now you could see it's the, you know, it's the whole shine is sort of like running out on a thing a little bit and people are getting a little bit, okay, we've seen this. What else you got? And I think that the players just, couldn't handle it. The management couldn't handle it. There was infighting in the uh, management. Oh, I, I'll save it for the people who want to watch it. But it's just one of those things, both. Oh, rock just, stars, though. They, they, yeah, they, they were. You know, there was, there was three or four years there where they were, they were, they were getting more fans than some NBA in arenas in their own arena. They're going like, yeah. sac- like you know, Toronto. They were getting, they were selling out more than the Raptors did back then. You know, so. Um, yeah, I mean the negotiating tactic of of, of throwing something at the. <laughs> <laughs> throwing a pizza at a girl for God's sake! Let I me mean, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Who the fuck? Not gonna work. First not of gonna all, work well. Although the pizza didn't look all that good, so you know maybe she you might want to throw it against the wall. Don't throw it at a girl. Come on, man. That's, that's, yeah, and I think that's, they would have if they would have just went and said, "Look, 
we signed on a couple of years ago when this wasn't as big. We, we you know, yeah, we're not entitled to, but we'd like to up up our salaries a little bit, seeing how much it's it's blown up. I think they, I think those guys would have done it. I think, um, agreed. You know, business sense. The last thing you want to do is have a strike within your own little your own little product or brand. And, and I think the other mistake was that it, it all came down to one guy. One guy was basically the whole development arm and did everything himself and he was a bit of an OCD and had to do everything and, you know, he, he obviously couldn't handle it health-wise and bye-bye brand, um, which was, you know, it, it's a great documentary though. I recommend go see that one. And the other one is Operation Flagrant Foul, Tim Donahue. That guy would have been... That guy would have been a perfect analytics guy, by the way. The uh, the guy at M one, one hundred percent was a nut. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. good. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was really good. But um, the, the Tim Donahue, we get we get a lot more insight from him in this. I think he's done a podcast as well. But um, it, there was it was interesting. It was interesting to see. I mean, he he, he claims that um, you know, he never bet on his own games. Uh, that he was forced into it. Um, <laughs> the best is. What was it? I made fifty grand out of all this, wasn't it, Pro? Uh, wasn't the number somewhere around there? No, I think it was a little more than that. I think it was like sixty-five to eighty yeah, games. I, that's what I mean. It was, oh, it was under hundred. Like under hundred grand a game. Remember, they were paying him two grand a game. Was so it? I okay. think it was. It's like a hundred, maybe a hundred and forty. I forgot what they said, but it was. A, it was. It was six figures over like two years. That's what I'm saying. That's, like, surely yeah. I got a friend that always says, like, if you got to do something legal, you better be yeah. getting a payday. <laughs> you better no not, doubt. Like, if you got to do something that's risking jail, <laughs> I'm not doing it for a hundred grand. Like, sorry, <laughs> you know, if, if it's five, ten million, come talk to me. But um, that's why there's people led to believe that he had, he's got money buried, he had money buried somewhere or something else going on. But it is interesting to see his point of view. You know, he, he tries to play a little bit more of an angel compared to kind of strong arm to doing it. He was scared of the mafia ties that he'd connected, that they were going to hurt him, blah, blah, blah. Probably some truth to that to an extent. Um, they actually have the mafia guy in there. He says, that's bullshit, I'd never do that, blah, 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 blah. The one key quote, I don't know if you picked this up, was um, the FBI agent that they got on. They got, a re they got the retired FBI, FBI agent that was involved in the case. The David Stern comment, <laughs> David Stern tried to hire the FBI agent investigating the case on, on behalf of, 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 of the American people to say, that, hey, the NBA is crooked. David Stern basically threw an off-cuff uh, remark at the end of one of the interviews, like, hey, we could really use a guy like you in the NBA. <laughs> and I, I, my ears perked up. I'm like, holy shit. So you can imagine how many times that's, that worked for David Stern and possibly Adam Silver, right? Um, and do you, think, do you think watching that there were other referees involved? I definitely think there were other referees involved um, in this for sure. I, I definitely, in my opinion, I think there was way more than one. I agree. Um, totally wrong, agree. I could be wrong. I, and, and for the record, I don't believe anybody on that fucking, on that show. Like, I think there was a, a percentage of the truth told on all, with all of them, but I think they were all fabricating their stories and they were protecting all Protecting themselves shit. and protecting themselves, yeah. of course. Yeah. Of course. But it, there, you know, there yeah. were some little slips. There were some little, sure. what was the slip that Donahue had um, towards the end of the documentary? There was a little slip that he didn't even know he said. Um, oh, I forgot, kind of, but yeah. I can't even remember. It was something along the lines. Yeah, like, uh, and you just, there's, there, I think there were other officials involved. I think they're probably potentially still refereeing today. Because, um, you know, I guess these guys. You look, just look at the phone records of, of Tim Donahue and how many calls he had to a certain, a certain official who's still in the NBA and one of the best officials 
as far as playoffs and um, and finals and a good friend of Chris Paul, uh, pro, that official, they were talking on a daily basis for every day for three or four or five minutes in the morning, three or four or five minutes in the afternoon, three or four or five minutes at night, post game, you know, and look, you can be good friends and I've, I've, I've been friends with some great teammates, but I know I'm going to see you the next day. <laughs> There's nothing I need to call you about four times in a day, man. I'm sorry. So that that smells to me a little bit. There's something. I think there's other other. I think there is other officials involved. I think the the there was some rumors that the everyone go out there and watch it. It's a good one. But rumors that the NBA had done you know had done some things on the side to quash the investigation. I believe that. They're a powerful entity. They have they have direct access to government officials. They have direct access. so um, it is an interesting one. It is an interesting one. You got to kind of piece together the truth from that one. Do the podcasts. Do the pro Donahue stuff. Do the anti Donahue stuff, and then kind of make your own assumption about what's going on. But um, as far as two basketball documentaries, if you've got some spare time at night and you put the kids down, we um, I, I recommend watching both of them. I think they were both highly entertaining um, as far as being a basketball aficionado, bro. Yeah, I think they were both great. Uh, the N1 stuff, if you're a basketball fan in the 90s and early 2000s, you'd well, definitely get a kick out of that. And the Donahue stuff, there was a podcast a couple of years ago about Donahue, and that was basically, this is the video version of that podcast. I mean, in you know, just just because it's basically the same things talked about, but it was great. I thought it was excellent. Well done. Uh, but again, it's just, they're all characters involved. Um, you know, look, referees had a big thing in like the 80s, Bogues, where the NBA would give those guys first-class tickets. And what they would do is they would cash in the first-class tickets, get um, get coach seats, and then take the money and keep the money and, keep the, and, and didn't file it on taxes. And there was like half the league was doing it. So with this... I think with something like this, because Donahue wasn't a guy, probably kept his mouth shut, you know, especially with, hey, I'm making this money. You might want to try it, you you know, and just e- either bet on these games yourself or find somebody who's backing, you know, like backing your bets or whatever, or, or you could just give information to. I don't know. I don't care. It's just entertaining stuff to me. And uh, look, there's just so much money at stake with the NBA and their TV contracts and things that they can't, they couldn't have this thing come out if it was true. So, you know, if, if, if I had billions of dollars on, on the, on the, you know, on the line over a seven or eight year period, I would probably, I'd probably be into some Tom fuckery too, to be honest. Mm. And I found that, that quote, so at the end of the, end of the documentary, there'd been, they quote is there'd been doubts as to whether Tim Donner, he had made much more money through the refereeing scam that he had claimed to the authorities the untold documentary team now asks him the same question. Tim blankly replies, I don't know when he's asked the question for the first time about, did you make more money than you say you did? I don't know. And then he's asked the same question towards the end of the documentary to reiterate what he said. And he said, absolutely not. I did not make more money. So that was an interesting part of that documentary. I hope I didn't ruin it for anyone, but that, that um, yeah, there's, there's people that are led to believe that he has made more money than he said he did and it was somewhere and he's bounced back. He's a, I think he's a realtor or something down in Florida, living in a nice house right now. Um, obviously divorced from his wife and family too, which sucks, but <clears throat> definite, definite uh, downfall there. All right, real quick, we'll do a couple of stats and fact or fake news and get out of here. I'm going to quiz you, pro. Who had the most transition points in the NBA last season? Player or team? Team, team. Golden State? No, the Memphis Grizzlies, 24.8 ah, okay. points 
Second. Golden State? No, I'm going to give you a tip. They're not in the top four. Um, Hornets were second at 24.5. Third were the third were the Bucks at 24.1. And fourth were the Lakers at 23.5. So I don't know. Between the Hornets and the Lakers, they weren't too successful last season. They're in the top four. So I don't think transition points relate too yeah, much to so winning. The Bucks, the Bucks are in there um, in third, but just an interesting one. I didn't realize the Grizzlies were that, that – I knew they were fast-paced, but I thought Hornets at least would have them pipped and, and the Bucks obviously play a fast pace with Giannis leading the break half the time. So there's an interesting one. Useful or useless, pro? I would say pretty useless, to be honest. It's interesting, but useless nonetheless. Like, you know – you know, I think playing faster, anything. playing slow, you know, it's playing faster. Anything. Yeah. Like, I think if you have good players, you're going to win games. I think you can, you know, try to stay in games or be competitive by running. But I think if you have good players, you're going to really good players, you're going to win games. And I think that there's no formula on how to play to win games in the NBA and get to that championship level. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's useless, to be honest. Interesting, but useless. I would agree. Last quiz. I've only got two today. Um, player, this is a player who's top 10 all time in points, rebounds, and blocks. Who would you think that is, bro? Uh, top 10 probably, in all three of those. I'd probably guess Elijah No. In fact, he's top three in all three, bro. That's the kicker. He's top three in all three of those categories. because That should give it away. Points, rebounds, and blocks. Uh, Kareem? There you go, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Didn't realize that. I didn't re- not top top three in three categories, man. That's that's beyond impressive. Um, he's probably going to lose the all-time scoring champ uh, to LeBron, but still, top three in three categories is fantastic for the old the old Kareem. So, fact or fake news? What do you have? All right, folks. Let me see. The tournament first one tournament will be the in-season tournament will be a big success off the bat. Fact or fake news? Fake news. I think it's if it is a success, it's going to need to take some tradition and some time and some people. Half people aren't even going to be aware of it early on. What the hell's going on? Why they play? <laughs> why is there a finals game in November? Uh, I would guarantee that. Um, so I think fake news. If it if it is deemed to be successful, it's going to take four or five years for it to get its legs and become a every season thing that people actually care about. But um, I'm even I'm even fake news on on the long term impact of it, but definitely success off the bat. Fake news. Yeah, I say it's fact uh, fake news. I think they're just going to be normal games. I think that that's what the, that that's how they bill it as. Like I said, the only way that I think you can get big viewership if there was like some fifty million dollar prize for it, you know, and team splits it. But you know, obviously they're not going to do that. But just to have some type of a prize. An in-season tournament. I don't think there's going to be a big uptick. I think people will think it's a little bit cool, you know, here and there. But I don't think these cup games people are going to care. There's not going to be more people coming because they're cup games in November, um, and the championship game, whatever. Like you might get a little bit of an uptick because people might want to see what it is. But I don't think it's going to be a big success off the bat. I say it's fake news. Montrez Harrell signing. Harrell signing in Philly. Um, that signing puts the Sixers over the edge to get to the conference finals. Fact uh, or fake, fake news. news. I'll go fake news just because, I I mean, they got him for cheap, by the way, $5.2 million over two years. Um, obviously, some issues off the court, but I don't know. My whole thing is he's going to come off the bench. 
Um, he's probably going to play a little bit with Harden. Um, and Maxi's not really a, a, a great, you know, distributing pick and roll type, get 10 assists, drop it off to Harrell, get him easy dunks. Harden a little bit better, much better at that, obviously, out of the pick and roll, but Harden loves to go ISO. So I think they can use the energy boost to an extent, but can you play Embiid and Harold together? I don't know. Um, I think that I think PJ Tucker is going to eat up most of those minutes at the four for the most part, just because of the three ball next to Joel to give him space. So that I don't know if that leaves you with a lot of minutes for Harold um, to make that much of an impact. I think he's going to get ten or fifteen, but I think they're going as far as Embiid, Harden, and Maxi take him. Um, and I think Tucker is going to eat up most of those four minutes. So I don't, I don't even think he's going to play huge minutes. I don't think he's going to get twenty twenty five minutes like he was the last couple of campaigns with these other teams. So I don't think it makes that huge of a difference. It shores up their bench a little bit. I think it'll help them in a regular season. You know, five-game road trip, we need some energy. Harold's that guy. But come playoff time, I don't, I don't think it puts them over the edge. I think it puts them where, they're, where they are. They're going to be a competitive team in the East and they should be top four. Yeah, I don't see them doing it. I, don't, I, I say it's fake news. I don't, see them, um, I don't see them really making a big splash with this. I think their scoring on the second unit's not very good. Um, I, I think that he gives you a few games where he could really help you, give you some energy, rebound, give you some scoring. But I just don't think they have enough scoring off the bench. You know, it's it's like him. It's um, you know, it's just not like they don't really like Daniel House him. They don't really have that you know that team that they could really score with like Dybul, you know, House Yang, you know, Montrez like. I don't think it. I think it gets them a little bit better when you're getting them on the cheap like that. But I don't think I. You know, I think it's a one plus one. They signed them. I think it's a team a player option year two, and um, I don't think it, it gets them over the edge. I think, you know, I think they're a little older too. Like you know, you got to watch out for Harden at 33, Tucker 37. You know, and you know, you got to watch out for you know Embiid with you know sort of you know. I think I think if Embiid wants a night off, you know, back to back, Montrez is good to you know throw in agree. there. But totally yeah, agree. I, I think, think it, in the yeah. regular season, yeah, regular season. But uh, overall, is he the determining factor that's going to get him past uh, a Milwaukee or a Miami? No. And to be honest, like I, I'm not a huge fan of Paul Reed, but Paul Reed showed some you know development a little he bit did, last, last year. Last season, yeah, yeah, I agree. I would get now this stumps his growth because. You know, uh, now he's definitely not going to play when Montrez is there. So to me, I would have played Reed and say the hell with it. You know, look, this team's going to get broken up if it if they don't win. You know, it, it's going to be a Brooklyn situation, in my opinion. Um, maybe not on Embiid's part, but maybe on somebody else like a Harden or or someone like that. Um, so I think that, like, I don't know. I, I would have probably just let, let Reed play, see what he got. You know, but. I don't think it brings them over the edge. I think it's fake news. All right, folks, last one. Somebody signs Bridges from Charlotte, you know, for this season at some point. Somebody as in not a correctional facility? Not a correctional facility, no. <laughs> That's a good one, by the way. Um, he's, you think somebody takes I think someone signs him if he's not in jail. Uh, the... I mean, I mean, the rundown of what he, <laughs> three felony charges, like, 
if one of them sticks, he's in some trouble, right? Um, look, if he's if he's proven innocent on all three counts um, and and walks out of court, yes, I think someone does sign him. He cost himself a shitload of money. Yes, I think someone will eventually sign him. Look, at the end of the day. There's always going to be a team that gives you a second chance. Um, it might not be straight away. Maybe it's in January. Maybe it's a deadline. He'll get another chance. Um, I'd even argue that even if he does get a small stint in jail, he will get a second chance. Um, so I think fact, but obviously we don't know when that's going to be. That would be what I can't answer. Whether he, he gets jail time, whether he misses a season, I think that would be the interesting one. Whether he misses a whole season, season and a half, because he has to go to jail or you know whatever, does he then get picked up? You know that, that's probably the, the, the that's probably where you lean in on fifty fifty. But I think his talent and his basketball ability um, doesn't need to be questioned if you can separate that from off court. And there will be a team that does that. There will be a team that you know whether it's a deadline, whether it's whenever that would um, welcome a player of his talent and just have to block their ears out for all the bad pub they're going to get for about a week and then get on with life. That's, that's, everyone deserves a second chance. What he, if what he's alleged to have done is true, is despicable. Um, I mean, I'm not a life band guy for that kind of stuff, but I'm also, there needs to be a lot of, a lot of things needed to be fixed before you probably should be eligible to play basketball again. Right. Um, and that, that probably starts with his own personal well-being and growth and, and getting better as a person. So it will be interesting. I think there is definitely teams that that would, you know, you look at someone like Sacramento or something that could use him um, on the basketball court, of course. Uh, won't help hopefully cultural woes, but I think he, if he doesn't get jail time, someone's picking him up, bro. Yeah, I think the right thing to do is not have him play all year. Um, Charlotte's not going to offer him anything, in my opinion. Even if he's you proven know. innocent, bro. Well, no, no. Um, I think if he's proven innocent, I'd, I'd say I mean, take a year not, off. Well, not proven innocent. He, he's obviously not charged. They, they, they say, yeah. Um, I think a team signs him regardless, even if he gets out of jail in a year, two years, three years from now, somebody will sign him. Um, second chance, re- rehabilitation, mental health, all that. Um, somebody will sign him. And not right now. No one's, no one's touching that. Um you know, it's, it's tough. Like we talked about the Anthony Edwards thing about what he said with those guys. And, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be probably something on, you know, talked about in the next few days. Um, this is much worse, obviously, but I think there's got to be a precedent set. Like if you have anything like this striking women, you know, I think it's got to be. And child. Yep. And child. Oh, and child. I thought it was just in front of the child. I'm sorry. I didn't know that. No, um, I think there was, I think one of the charges is, is the child as well. I think. Yeah. I, I think, I think you, you got to be harsh with this. I would give him at least a year, if not two. And then there will be a team, multiple teams offering him something, you know, to rehab, you know, rehab him and, you know, go forward with it. But I don't, I don't see, I think it's fake news. I don't see anyone signing him right now or before, you know, before the court case, especially with the Deshaun Watson thing, the way that's going on football in the NFL. Um, yeah, I don't think you're even going to touch this until, you know, until the court case is done and, and, and you figure out what's going to go, you know, what he's going to do in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, it says the release noted that the children were present for the alleged assault, but did not otherwise specify what the child abuse counts stemmed from. So, right, um, there is a there is a felony count for that. Maybe you can get the KCP deal, uh, pro. With the um, playing with the the ankle bracelet. I was there for that, bro. I was there. I was in LA. That was real? I thought somebody just superimposed that. that no, no, really? he, 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 the, the, no. The ankle bracelet was fake, but okay. it was the craziest shit. He, so he gets he, he gets a 25-day jail sentence that allowed him 
to leave on a work release for home games and practices. So I couldn't, I couldn't, it was the craziest shit I've ever seen. Uh, it was, it was, what was it for? It was driving under the influence and then I think he bombed a court date or something in a different stuff. I can't remember anyway, but I remember we would, uh, we had a brand new facility that time in LA. They just built their brand new facility and he would basically come first thing in the morning at like 8 a.m. for 11 o'clock and just have his free time. And then after practice, he wouldn't leave that place till like five. Um, but the fact they, <laughs> the fact they let him play in games and come to practice was it was fucking hilarious. Like he, he said it was he said the jail cell was fine because they, they had a he had a PlayStation in there and I mean if you're a celebrity in LA and you go to jail, I mean that that's dude. I guess it, it ain't like he's gonna it. get sh yeah, it ain't like he's gonna get shanked and on, on the team bus has a mirror to see what's going on behind him. I mean, come on, the guy <laughs> you know it was hilarious though. Only in America, man. I, I was like, wait, hold on, you, you where are you going after this? He goes, I gotta go back to jail. I was like how is that jail if you can leave <laughs> for work? Like it makes no sense. He's like, man, it's a good, it's a good deal. Huh? It's a good deal. I'm like, it is a fucking good deal, man. But only only in America, only in America. So maybe I doubt Bridges gets one of those. But I think if he, if he's going in, he's going in for a while. Um, and just yeah, he 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 hadn't signed his deal yet, right? He was he was about to sign a ninety million, wasn't he? A hundred million. Yeah, he was going to sign a max or close to it. And Jeez. um, you know. And then that happened. Imagine the timing of that happening. It's crazy. Imagine being his agent. Know? Imagine being his agent getting that call. Yeah. You just be like, ah, oh, okay. There goes, there goes, there goes, what is it? 3% of, of 100 million. And then, the 200, the and then the 300 grand I had to give this guy to get him as a client. Now that's down the, that, that's down <laughs> the tubes too. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I was talking to a friend, a friend of mine about, about it. A friend of mine's uh, listens to this podcast is like, what the, he said, what is his, what is his agent doing? How do you allow him to do that? I'm like, man, you, it, it is like the guy does what guys do what they want to do. And, and, and I'm from the mindset of like, you know, if, if I'm going into a contract extension negotiation or a free agency negotiation, I'm the agent. I'm like, dude, I'm locking you in a house in the Hamptons or a, I'm going to get you a nice place somewhere. I'm looking, especially if you know it's a guy that's kind of a little bit loose. And he had, he had a few issues leading into that, um, <laughs> that, that arrest, right? Like with the drinking lean or whatever the fuck it was. Um, I'll lock, you almost need to lock the, you, for their own good. Like I'm, I'm locking, I'm going to get you a trainer and you're going to stay here until, until you, that, that, that ink is on the paper stay out of the nightclub, stay out of the streets, stay out of this. You're not traveling. You're going to work out with your trainer. You're going to sign it. As soon as you sign it, go and do what you want. <laughs> but Dude, yeah, it's, it's, nobody's it's teaching these guys how to be pros, man. Nobody. Like the agent's too worried about signing the next client. They just want to sign them. And then right away, they just sign them, you know, looking for the next guy. You got to sit these kids down. Forget about telling them how to spend their money at the strip club and all this other bullshit. You got to give them practical advice about how to be a pro in the NBA. You know, like how to show up early, how to put your work in, how to talk to people, how to look people in the eye, how to, you know, don't get in trouble. It, you know, all this stuff reflects badly on you. There's so much money to be made. You know, before, like when you got in the league, look, there was a lot of money when you got in the league, but a lot of players weren't making it like that. Now you get guys 14th on the roster, 13th on the roster, making like $7 million a year. And like, it's a, it's almost not generational money, but it's a shitload of money. You get guys who barely are in rotations and they're going to make over $100 million in their career. That's absurd back 15, 20 years ago. But you got all this in front of you. 
learn how to just be a pro. Learn how to say no. Learn how to like, I really want to punch my girlfriend in the face, but A, it's morally wrong. That's number one. And number two, it's like, I'm literally going to destroy any chance that I have of making anything of myself after this punch lands. Like, what are you doing? Who's teaching you these things? And that's why, that's why I, I don't think there's much good leadership in players, coaches, organizations, agents. There aren't many. There are a few, but not many. And it's really destroying the fabric of the game. And it's it's destroying these players. And it, it's crazy. And look, I'm not blaming anybody but Bridges. I mean, that's fucking pathetic. You know, no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is completely fucking pathetic to strike a female unless she has a weapon and is going to strike you. That's that, you know, to strike a woman is deplorable. But, like, you got to learn how, like, you got to learn that that's not going to be good for you. Come on now. You know? Just so, leave. Anyways. Just walk out. Yeah. <laughs> fucking like, leave. Um, if you think that you're susceptible to that. I mean, we had, we had uh, some of this... I would say the seminar training type stuff, and, and we had, um, you know, we, when you're in, in professional sports, NBA teams, they have all kinds of speakers come and try to help you. And we used to have a police officer come and talk to us about, you know, because each state has kind of different domestic violence laws too, which is crazy, right? Like some of them, some of them like you get booted out of your house, the women get to stay, even if they don't know who was at fault. Like there's different laws in different states. So we, we, they, they, the team used to bring out someone and and, and just tell you like, hey. Don't do this. Don't do that. And he, this, this old school cop, right? He's like, what I tell everyone is have have a bag packed in the garage at all times. So everyone's like, what? And he's like, I have a bag packed in the garage at all times. I'm married, but you never know. I could get in a heated argument with my wife. She could say something. I could say something. And if I think something's going to happen, I grab my bag and I put it in the car and I come back the next day. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> it's. It's a fair point. Like let off steam. It sounds stupid, but you know you never want to be in a situation where, um, you know, you're getting a little back and forth. And we all know how that ends. Even if the female pushes you, you push back. You're much stronger. You know, it's just not going to end well for anyone. So, um, and, and look at Bridges now. Like hypothetically, he could be a a minimum slash you know mid level ceiling guy now for the rest of his career, just because of this stain this stain on him. And, and I wouldn't even argue, even if he gets proven innocent and all this, which I don't think you will, it's still a pretty big blight. Three felony counts, like people are going to be like, eh. And then on top of that, like I said, he had a couple of indiscretions leading into that in an off season where you're a fucking free agent. <laughs> like, you know, you'll get like, a one plus, in my opinion, you'll get a one plus one. Um, team option. Maybe team or maybe player. Like but beyond that, let's say, let's say he comes back, he does jail, he goes jail for a year, comes back, has a couple of years on, on on the minimum. Even beyond that, maybe his ceiling, if he balls out, is not, I don't think anyone's given him max, even if he balls out or even close to that. Beyond I don't know, that, folks. You know? Probably not. I think I think you got something there. Probably not. But like, if they do something and this guy, look, you know, it, it, it'll be really a lot of negative negativity towards him and the team that signs him. But if that guy stays out of trouble, you know, I think oh, he's a good player. He's a fucking yeah. good player. He's a great and player. Like, um, everybody loves to copy LeBron. The one thing you should copy about LeBron, you can like him, not like him. Dude, when's he ever gotten in trouble? When has he mm. ever gotten arrested? When has he ever domestic violence? When has he ever, like, never, never. Like, he's not confrontational like that. 
you know, look, I'm like I said, I don't agree with everything he does. I'm not a huge fan of him, like just sort of how he goes about things. But I don't, I never denounce his talent and I never denounce the fact that he's never gotten in trouble. And like, he's got a lot to lose. And, you know, somebody, whoever it was, got in his head quick that, dude, you just got to chill. You're going to make all this money. You're going to be one of the best players of all time. You just got to chill. And, you know, that's, that's the problem. But you know what's a joke, folks, of these fucking NBA meetings where, like, the players, you know, come and, like, talk to you, right? Not all of them. Mo- most of them are bad. Like, you mean retired players, yeah? Yeah, like, you got to take care of your money. I'm like, bro, you bought a fucking a $20 million water park in Alaska. Shut the fuck up. Like, who, who, like, who are you? Who are you going to talk to us about fucking finances? Give me a fucking break. No, but right? the best but, is, it's usually the, usually, no offense to the guys, the guys they bring in to talk to you are guys that went, like have been bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah, come on, bring, dude. No, don't talk to me. I was bankrupt once, but don't be like me. And you're like, why are you here telling us how to- Why are you here, dude? Look? I mean, seriously. You got the one dude that um, was a drug. There was, a, there was one guy that was a drug addict, and he used to tell you about like I used to snort yeah. this and I used to do this, and just sitting there like, "What the hell is going? Like, like what am I? I get, what am I sitting you can in?" Make so, dude, you can make so <laughs> much money, Bogues, to work in the NBA front office or oh, an NBA man. team's front office by just being a pro and learning how to speak well and like talk about the right shit. Go into a players' meeting when when the, the league sends you to a spot and talk to them about the real, like, for the young guys, like, really what it takes to be a pro and not about, you know, because players want to be cool. They want everybody to like them, so they talk about nonsense. Talk about real shit. And teams are like, dude, 0.2% are people that fucking, and the players that played in this league actually talk about real good shit. They talk about nonsense when they're in the public eye talking about this stuff and we can't really trust them around our players. Like if you learn how to do that, you'll make two fifty a year minimum and then just fucking go forward with that. And to go back on your point with a Gadala, if I was golden state right now, I'd sign them to a long-term deal and be like the Michael Finley of golden state where Michael Finley's right next to Cuban. He's like big time in the front office, talks to players, you know, like ingrained in that organization. I think Iguodala should do that. Like I, 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 th- I think he will. Him. I think I yeah. think they they'll they'll have him. If I'm a gambling man, I'd say that that he, he's got a role etched out for him in that organization um, post retirement. It's a matter of if he wants to do it. I know he's an avid golfer. Um, he's involved a lot in in the startup industry and, and tech and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, it's whether he wants to do it, but I think a la a Sean Livingston type deal where he's still got a connection to the front office. He's still there on the day to day, but he still has freedom freedom to go and play golf. You know, he should Google he should Google Kevin McHale walking and Dirk Nowitzki walking and see in the next last couple of years and see them walking and what happened to them playing a little bit longer than they should have. Dude, it ain't worth it. Just work in the organization. You could still be in with the team. You could still travel with the team if you want to. You could still be ingrained in it. And you don't have to put the like he's made enough money. He's made enough connections. He's won enough championships. Yeah, it's probably just more the itch. It's the itch. Like, yeah, like sure. even sure. for myself, post retirement, there are days you wake up with that itch. 
we're like, oh man, I wish I miss playing, I miss the competitiveness, I miss the travel, uh, bonding with the guys, talking shit on a bus. And then, but my brain was smart enough to then relay back on like, yeah, remember the other six days a week when you couldn't walk, <laughs> or the other the other five days a week where you're popping anti-inflammatories or you can't play with your kids. So you got you, you, that's that's the problem. And I think if he still has that itch, I assume he'll go on. But I think, um, you know, he he, he definitely understands that the longer you play the more of a detrimental impact it can have to your long-term health. And, and he's a pretty fit guy. Like he's a fucking, he's, his body fat's still at this point probably lower than most guys in their 20s, you know. So he's a, he's a guy that works out a fair bit. But um, I think they'll keep him around if I'm betting, man. But let's wrap this up. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, let me know your thoughts about the questions I had for you listeners around the NBL expansion and a few other things. And if you were a GM, would you hire a... A vet Ming guy, and who would be your guy? I'd love to hear some some tweets or posts on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know your thoughts, and we will see. And don't you all say Bogues. And don't say Bogues. Okay, don't 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 kiss Bogues' ass and say Bogues. You should be the one signed. Give him somebody else. Like who's your vet men guy? <laughs> no, don't, don't kiss Bogues' ass. Delhi, Delhi, Delhi's gonna get a spot in Sacramento because he's a vet hey. men true pro. He's gonna he's gonna take Sacramento from. 11th to 10th, you know, he's gonna, they're going to move up. They're going to move up. They're going to they're gonna get into the plane because of professionalism and get that, that, that shit show there in Sacramento back on track. Yeah, right. <laughs> Later, bro. Later, folks. By Andrew Bogan. Let's get rogue.